audio check. On this episode, a pharmacist becomes a lawyer. Hope you enjoy. everyone welcome to another episode of rx radio i'm your host richard waith and i have a very special guest with me today ned malinkovic welcome to the show thank you very much richard so i'm excited to have you on because you have a very interesting background where uh you started off as a pharmacist and now you're um a, a lawyer and i think uh with the way things are going in the industry and and i try to tell people all the time you know pharmacy is such a uh, a dynamic um, degree to have. It's such a dynamic industry. You could really go anywhere with uh, with the PharmD, and, and you're a prime example of that. So I want to dive into a little bit about what you do. Maybe hear some stories um, about that you've seen in pharmacy um, with your background. Um, but before we do that, can you start by first telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, sure. Well, first of all, thanks again for having me on your show this afternoon. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me. Um, as you said, my name is Ned Milankovic. Uh, I'm originally from Ohio, uh, specifically from the Cleveland area. Um, I went to undergraduate uh, pharmacy school back in 1992. Uh, I, took, I had the BS pharmacy degree at Ohio State University. Uh, from there, I moved back to Cleveland, Ohio, from Columbus, and I worked in a county hospital, Metro Health Medical Center, for four years uh, before moving over to Chicago, where I had enrolled in the uh, University of Illinois Chicago's continuing uh, curriculum option, which was at the time a bridge between um, the BS degree and the All Farm D degree, which we know uh, about today. Um, so that that brought me to Chicago. After I had studied uh, remotely with some with respect to some of the didactic coursework, and then I did rotations there, and then right after that, I had uh, um, submitted my LSAT scores uh, to some local law schools in the area here in Chicago, and then I attended law school from 1997 and until 2000. So I have uh, practiced pharmacy for. Close to eight years uh, mixed in with um, PharmD school as well as law school um, during that during that period of time. Now, what made you also go to law? Like you didn't have enough education and experience that you had to go and do uh, more schooling uh, and go to another field. Right. What, what made you go that way? Right. Yeah, everybody asks me that question throughout my entire career and my life. As soon as they find out that I'm a pharmacist and an attorney, they want to know what the connection is between the two because it's frankly just very rare. I mean, not very many people would go to all that pharmacy school only to go to law school. But uh, in my in my situation, I was uh, probably a mere nine or ten years old at the time, and I, I still recall uh, my father, who is an engineer, uh, metallurgical engineer, and then went on to law school while he was trying to um, provide for for our family. Um, I remember going to the the induction ceremony after he had passed the bar exam in Ohio, and I stood proudly there, not knowing anything about what I was saying, that I too wanted to go to law school someday. And it was always in my mind 
that I had this deep interest in healthcare, uh, in being part of the health, a healthcare profession, and I also had a competing interest in my head about about going to law school, and so I had this conflict throughout my entire youth as I was going through all of the, you know, grammar school, junior high school, high school, and that sort of thing, um, regarding what I wanted to do with myself. Uh, I ultimately, I decided that, look, no matter what I was going to do with a law degree, I still needed to go and get myself an undergraduate degree because unless things have changed these days, and I don't think they have, you still need to have some form of bachelor's or undergraduate degree before you can apply to and go to law school. Um, so that's sort of, in a nutshell, how I, I got around to uh, choosing both. Interesting. Now, being that you're in that industry today, if there's Imagine, think about a pharmacist that's talking to you and they're like, you know, I've always been interested in, in being a lawyer, but, you know, I've been a pharmacist for 10 years. Um, would it be today, do you think it's something that you would recommend a pharmacist do? Or if someone was really that interested, like, would it be worthwhile for them to say, you know what, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm just going to put my foot down and I'm going to, I'm going to try to go to law school and try to have a career in that. Would you, would you advise that to um, a pharmacist that's either deep into their career, maybe even a pharmacist that just got out and is like, you know, they want to do more with what, with what uh, their pharmacy, their farm degree can do. Right. That's always a tough recommendation to make to someone. Um, When I went to pharmacy school, I thought I was going to, you know, obviously be a pharmacist. And then when I finished law school, I did not want to lose that pharmacy background. Um, And so what I ended up doing was probably something more unique than what other lawyers do. I married the two professions so that I practice in the area of drug and pharmacy law. And we do a lot of things, and I can get into that with you if you'd like, um, about what we do on a day-to-day basis as lawyers with pharmacy backgrounds. Um, but the recommendation to someone to take uh, a pharmacy degree and then go on to a law degree, that's really in the eye of the beholder. That really rests within that person. And for me to tell them, yeah, you should do it, or no, I don't think you should do it, I think is outside of the boundaries that I should be you know, making recommendations about. The passion that I had and have for both degrees, for both pharmacy and law, is is uh, is something unique to myself. Uh, and when I go to work in the morning, it's really not work for me because I love what I do. Uh, I mean, that's like the perfect utopian situation. If I tell someone else, yeah, you should go to law school because, you know, your pharmacy degree just isn't enough, um, they might go through all of that curriculum, all of those rigors, and then at the very end of the day, turn around and say, why did I listen to that guy? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. So it really is a, a, an individual decision. And I think those individuals who love the law, who like to go to law school and learn it and, and, and be part of that, and if they're unique enough and lucky enough to have a pharmacy background, the best advice I could give them is that, really they can do a lot of different things with those two degrees together or even just do the one one thing with the law degree. But if you wanted to couple the two, um, there are all kinds of opportunities in 
industry in the industry that would keep you busy and happy for a very long time i think I think that's actually a good segue to, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your practice, about what you do and how you serve. Um, one of my next questions was also going to be kind of the most challenging, um, you know, what's the most challenging thing that practicing law and healthcare is. So maybe you can kind of tie that in as well. But yeah, I'd like to hear more about your practice. Uh, so we have a team of, of lawyers here. We actually, my law firm where, where I, where I'm a partner, um, we have about a hundred attorneys, um, in various disciplines, imagine a department store where you have, you know, uh, the business and finance group, the litigation group, the estates and trusts group, uh, the intellectual property group, uh, you know, lo and behold, the, the healthcare law group, which is where I sit, um, and in a smattering of others, uh, other groups, labor and employment would be another example. So we're sort of a one-stop shopping law firm. Uh, we have one major office in Chicago, and then we have a smaller office in Irvine, California. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had passed the Florida bar exam uh, with the idea that I would uh, eventually move down there um, and, and live there and practice. Uh, so we'll, that is a chapter that's yet to be determined. <laughs> um, I'm down but, in Miami, um, so if you ever uh, need a tour down here, right? yeah, okay, let well, me know. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a home in I've got a home uh, across the way in Southwest Florida in, in the North Naples area, oh, so okay, that's okay. where that's where I go. Um, but um, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, um, the practice itself, I, I guess I could break it down into maybe four major buckets, um, and and we have clients of all shapes and sizes. We have. Um, chain pharmacies, regional, regional chains, national chains. Um, we have wholesalers, uh, uh, who are distributing drugs into the supply chain. Uh, we are, uh, approached by technology companies that support the, the drug supply chain. Um, and we do get involved with some, uh, manufacturers, uh, upstream, um, uh, medical devices as well as, as prescription drugs. The four buckets would be, I think the first one and a common one is regulatory compliance. Um, people are always looking to strategize their business and do innovative things, but before they do those things, they sometimes want to vet out their their model. And so we do look at regulatory issues on a state-by-state -state basis, as well as uh, obviously on the federal level also. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we have clients who decide they're going to undertake a business enterprise and then without regard to consulting regulatory compliance, and then we're left with the difficult or challenging tasks of managing their expectations and hopefully backing them out of a situation where they might not be compliant with the laws or regulations in the various states. So that's, you know, that would be one challenging area that uh, I think you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, so the second area where we get involved in relatively heavily is um, both state and federal agency enforcement actions against our clients. At the state level, that typically takes place with a, a board of pharmacy action. Uh, it could be some form of disciplinary action. At the federal level, um, we see a lot of activity from the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. We'll see some activity at the FDA level. Um, we certainly have seen the C CMS get involved in 
in the OIG also. So those are sort of enforcement actions where you are defending your client against uh, a governmental agency that is taking them to task for doing something uh, that is not in conformity, or at least it's alleged that it's not in conformity with with what the law or the rules allow. The third area that we get involved with is is private party litigation, and those are typically contract disputes or disputes of uh, some nature where. Uh, one party is suing another, and you know you're either being sued or you're suing somebody because there's an issue that's out there that cannot be resolved. And then the fourth area that we get involved in is in business transactions, and that's simply the buying and selling of either assets or stock of a company or a business where you're either divesting yourself of an interest in an enterprise or are acquiring one. Um, and that means that you know you have due diligence that you have to undertake to to uncover the integrity of the target company that you're trying to uh you know trying to buy um and, and then of course drafting of of uh, of purchase agreements and, and documents um uh, and schedules of documents that uh, are going to support that transaction and sort of the fifth area which you sort of kind of get involved in but not really um is um, when when it comes to lobbying or changing laws or rules, there's a whole body of law that relates to that. So um, we want to make sure that we're, we as lawyers are always within the uh, confines of those of those laws and regulations that govern lobbyist type activities. So we, although we we might be involved in those types of things, we would always seek somebody who's a registered lobbyist or somebody who is accredited to engage in that type of uh, that type of activity. So those are sort of the buckets that that we would we would be involved in. I think it's so interesting to think, you know. How, how far of a niche one could go towards, you know, you think about, okay, you become a pharmacist, like, okay, now I want to also become a lawyer. But then now if you've done that, there's also these different avenues that you could just become an expert in. And I think it's, you know, it, that's one of the examples of, of the, the amount of things that you can do in healthcare, and especially as a pharmacist. So it, it's really interesting to hear how far you can go um, with the niche. Absolutely. I always say the the drug and pharmacy law arena is about three or four feet wide and about three or four miles deep. And, you know, you can do a lot of things. You can go into, obviously, into private practice like like I did. Um, You can certainly go in-house and work for a major company or a regional company as an attorney. You can go work for the government and the FDA and the DEA or, you know, any type of prosecutorial roles. Um, you can get involved with pharmacy associations. You know, a lot of people have a law degree and they might not even be practicing law on a day-to-day basis, but they have that background that they've acquired as a result of going to law school. And they can be very effective in non-lawyer roles while holding that, holding that legal uh, degree in their in their back pocket and utilizing it and help in helping them navigate uh, their daily activities and whatever job they're 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 doing that makes a lot of sense now one thing I, I hear a lot from um, mostly from newer pharmacists that are uh, starting to practice is they they're concerned about malpractice insurance now what are your thoughts on um, whether or not a pharmacist should take out their own malpractice insurance. I know a lot of students, it's required for students to have it while while going through pharmacy school. But what are your thoughts or or advice for the practicing pharmacist 
um, in terms of malpractice insurance? So when you're practicing pharmacy, you are just like any other healthcare professional, and you could subject yourself through some uh, wrongdoing. Uh, you could subject yourself to some liability associated with your your your, your practice, uh, and so there is. Uh, pharmacist malpractice insurance out there. There's several companies that offer um, offer those insurance policies. I think a lot of times pharmacists naively go into the workplace environment and think to themselves, well, I don't really need my own insurance because my employer has insurance for me. So as a first step, I would ask my employer, if I'm a practicing pharmacist, do you offer uh, pharmacist liability insurance? And if the answer is no, then, you know, you should obviously, I I would obviously get my own insurance. Even if the answer is yes, I think, I think I would personally still go out and pay the nominal, I think, fee, the, the, the premium, uh, in order to get myself extra coverage just to make sure that I have my own policy in place. I sleep good at night. I don't need to worry that, you know, come a rainy day, I'm going to be hung out to dry because there was inadequate insurance or there was no insurance and I didn't know about it. Now, if you're going to go out there and get your own insurance, I think you should also take the time to read what the policy covers because what you don't want to do is go out there and buy yourself insurance and then be under some false illusion that you've got a blanket that's going to cover every single thing that you do in your practice. Uh, now, I think that the policies are drafted relatively broadly, but I think what you want to make sure of is that there aren't any exclusions. And if there are exclusions, that you're aware of what they are so that you can you know, figure out if you have to buy additional insurance to, to cover that gap or do something else because it might be it might be important uh you know i might be uh i might be a pharmacist who's engaging in you know sterile compounding for example but you're not maybe you're just in a retail environment and you're not dealing with any sterile compounding you want to make sure that if you're going to be doing sterile compounding that that insurance policy is going to cover you in the case of some error um and uh, that's the sort of thing you want to look at your own career and the kind of pharmacist that you are and then decide what type of insurance you really need. And there are people out there like at Pharmacist Mutual and Hipso, for example, there's probably other companies as well that could sit down with somebody and talk them and walk them through that. That makes a lot of sense. And I, a lot of good nuggets in there um, for people to consider. So I appreciate that. Now, is there yeah. is there like... Um, maybe some common cases or, or things that pharmacists, you, you kind of touched on it there in terms of like if, if a pharmacist is compounding or something, but are there cases that you're familiar with that you see that happens frequently um, that the average pharmacist can potentially kind of fall into that they should know about to better protect themselves? Well, you know, it, it's, it's highly varied. I will say that in that there, there might be some common repeat mistakes or errors or things that go bump in the night for a particular pharmacist or pharmacy um, that could be called out. Um, Misfills, for example, are a common one. Uh, Bad record keeping would be another one. Um, When you get into sterile compounding, of course, if you're not following some of the strict guidelines associated with 
you know, compounding and, and sterility and, and uh, record keeping as well as, you know, beyond use dates and that sort of thing. But the one, I think, overriding thought uh, I have is a pitfall that many pharmacists find themselves is when they are uh, signed up to be the so-called pharmacist in charge or pharmacy manager, the PIC, the PIC, uh, every state has its own unique lingo when it comes to that pharmacist that's going to be signing on the dotted line on behalf of the pharmacy. And the reason boards of pharmacies typically will require that uh, someone sign off on behalf of the pharmacy license and be accountable for the things that go on is because they really want a live body that they can discipline and hold accountable in the case that something goes wrong. And I think a lot of pharmacists incorrectly forget that even though they think that even though they've signed up to be the manager, that if they're not present in that pharmacy and something goes wrong, that they're not obligated. And that's a pitfall, I think, that many pharmacists need to be aware of. And so my message there is, if you are going to be a pharmacist in charge of a pharmacy, you need to run that pharmacy as if it's yours. And you need to be present even when you're not present. And you have to institute a culture of compliance and, uh, you know, a culture of accountability so that the people who you are working with are people that you trust and know that even when you're not there, they're going to run that place in the best possible way uh, in order to avoid any type of you know, governmental liability or, or even, even personal liability, you know, where, where someone is injured and there, there, there's a lawsuit that's levied against people, people in that pharmacy for something that's gone wrong. Well, that is probably one of the most important things that might've been said on this podcast in a while. Uh, thank you for that. And I think that is something that is definitely lost, especially for people that are working at a, uh, you know, at a retail um, or a large chain or something like that. They just feel like, yes, they're the manager, but they're just kind of clocking in and clocking out, um, whereas they can really be held liable for a lot of things. So I actually think that that is a really good um, piece of information that you just dropped on us there. Um, now, you know, go ahead. Thank you. Well, I was I was thanking you for, for, for calling that out. I, I think a lot of things are, a lot of problems go away if people are passionate about what they do because if they're passionate about what they do and they believe in what they do and they know what they're doing, then uh, it becomes less of a burden on them and it becomes less of a burden on the people that they surround themselves with. And you work together as one team to bring forth, in this case, you know, medication to a patient. Uh, there are processes in place in pharmacies that people forget about that they have to you know, dot the I's and cross the T's when it comes to verification of a particular uh, drug, uh, a patient, uh, the proper record keeping, the ultimate dispensing, the all-important counseling that goes along with um, the prescription drug that's delivered. So again, it goes back to whether you really want to be doing the types of things that you're doing. And if you love it, I think it shows. That makes sense. 
All right, Ned. So let's wrap this up. Um, what is uh, what is the name of the practice? Um, how can people uh, learn more about it? And what's the best way for um, any of the listeners to connect back with you um, if they wanted to do that after the episode? Well, well, thanks for that. Um, I am with uh, the law firm of Much Shellist in Chicago, and our URL is www.muchlaw.com. Uh, I can certainly be reached at 312-521-2482, and my email is N as in Nancy, M as in Mary, I-L-E-N as in Nancy, K O. V is in victory, I-C-H, at muchlaw.com. And I'm the chair of our healthcare practice group here at Much. And I'll definitely link all that information in the show notes below for anyone that's interested and wants to connect back. Uh, Ned, thank you so much for your insight. We really appreciate being on the show. Thank you very much, Richard. I appreciate it as well. Ned was dropping bars on that episode. I really enjoyed that one. I hope you guys did as well. Make sure to connect on any of your favorite social media platforms. Subscribe if you haven't yet. I really appreciate a rating too. Let me know what you think about the podcast. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.